Welcome everyone to Couch Potato Diary. Happy Monday. My name is Peter Klein. What a weekend it was. Thank you very much for tuning in today as we get ready to break down everything we saw from the National Football League this weekend. Uh, plus, we have some NHL news that kind of came out of nowhere for some. Um, and it is a busy, busy time in the combat sports world. We look back at UFC 297 and look ahead to WWE's Royal Rumble. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in today. Make sure you like this video, subscribe to the channel. Um, thank you to everyone who is uh, tuning in today. Uh, seems like the the awards video has kind of picked up a bit of steam, so that's uh, very appreciated. Thank you so much. Um, you can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email this show, Diary at yahoo.com. Uh, all right, let us get right into it and break down everything we saw from the National Football League. All right, let's start from the, the back end and work our way up. We will start with what was uh, one of the games of the year, the Kansas City Chiefs with a victory over the Buffalo Bills. And just first and foremost, what a game. Um, just a, a really, really, really great game that this one was. Back and forth, excellent execution all over the place. You had mistakes, you had drama, you had all of it. And in the end, the Kansas City Chiefs once again come away with a victory over the Buffalo Bills. And first and foremost, it's Mahomes. And I have questioned this offense at many times this season. Certainly none of it because of the star quarterback. And he was exceptional one more time in this game, extending plays, just doing everything he does. And the big difference in this game, his playmakers were making plays. This was a game where Rasheed Rice stepped up with some big plays. Travis Kelsey stepped up with some big plays. Isaiah Pacheco stepped up with some big plays. And then you saw... MVS had a couple of really nice plays as well, and I think that was the difference. MVS was making some plays that Stephon Diggs wasn't, and that is quite the uh, quite the thing to say. As my cat pops up over uh, over there in the background there, but um, this was an all-out performance by the Kansas City Chiefs in such an impressive way offensively. But I, I think the real like breakout star from this was Isaiah Pacheco, who was just running angry the entire time but that game like the the interception um or sorry the missed field goal is obviously the killer and that that, that is the big story we'll get into the bill side of this in a second but there's still about a minute left and the chiefs basically have to get a first down and isaiah pacheco gets it just pounding his way through getting into the end zone for uh, a touchdown and or sorry not not into the end zone for a touchdown but getting working his way for a first down that to me is so huge when the other team knows it's coming and you're you're still able to do that Pacheco was I thought a star in this game and again the other one uh, other guy stepped up Rice had a, a really good game and a couple of really good plays Travis Kelsey had a couple of really good plays as well until there was a lot of focus to take him out of the game plan by the Buffalo Bills but th this was a, a Kansas City team that for the first time really all year got a number of contributions from a number of different sources and that is why they're going off to Baltimore to play in the AFC championship game but the one part of this that was a little bit huh from a Kansas City side their defense got pushed around. Um, th there's a lot of talk today about Josh Allen and all of those things. Josh Allen, with the exception of a couple passes, and we'll get into this in a second, was phenomenal. Um, but this defense had no answer for James Cook. They had no answer for Josh Allen. They had no answer for Kincaid. The only reason that the, the, the defense isn't being slogged a little bit more is 
because um, Sherfield couldn't quite get his hands on that one deep ball um, down the, the left seam there. And Stephon, J Stephon Diggs just whiffs on a deep pass. This defense did not play well, and it has been the calling card for this Kansas City team all season long. All of the talk about how this is the best defense that Patrick Mahomes has played with, uh, that defense didn't show up on Sunday night against the, the Buffalo Bills. Buffalo kind of beat up the, this really good Kansas City defense, and that is certainly eye-opening when you look towards next week. But for the Buffalo Bills, this is a heartbreaker. And seeing a lot online today, like this one stings the most, and I, I am not... Not a Bills fan, so couldn't tell you. But just from the outside looking in, this one doesn't seem like the biggest whiff. Um, the 13 seconds one is, I think, clearly that one. Um, but, like, you, you look at this, this defense is banged up and kind of getting old. Like, they, they need to figure this out quick out in Buffalo. Um, but you were 6-6 six and six at one point. And to, to have the ball down three in field goal range with a minute 27 to go, like, you would have taken that 100 times out of 100. And, and so I'm not going to say they had found money because they were at home. And that, that does kind of add to it a little bit. But the, just the way this season went, it kind of felt like you were just barely holding on and it just now finally slipped away. But there is obviously a lot of discussion around Josh Allen today. And it's there. there's just a lot. And it's really interesting both sides of it. On the one side, like I think Josh Allen played an almost perfect football game. The problem is when Mahomes is dealing and his receivers and his pass catchers are making plays, you have to be perfect. And Allen, on that drive at the end, did what he was supposed to do. Um, he had a couple of nice quick passes underneath, like they were working it. And that was the thing. Like I, admittedly, I watched this game after I knew the result and after I knew, saw all the discourse. I, I We were out last night. So I ended up watching the game this morning, knowing that Allen misses those two passes late. And then it ends up with a, a missed field goal, knowing all that. And so you're expecting like, okay, here's Brett Favre version of Josh Allen, just gunslinging the ball all over the place, man. That wasn't this. That wasn't this all game. There was a couple of times, like the, the deep ball to Sherfield, he just, fucking chucked it, man. That was wild. Um, but it, it was a pretty calm, pretty composed Josh Allen the entire game. Even on that final drive, he's working a couple of quick passes up the field to get them into field goal range. And then he just took the driver out um, and just unleashed a couple and they both kind of veered away and that was it. Um, it's something he has to work on for sure. But I don't think it is like, oh, this guy's never going to be a winner because of his uh, awareness. Just no, no, no football IQ there. It's like, I don't know, man. Like he, he played pretty well. It, it, there was a couple of passes that you wish he wouldn't have done. And a couple of situations, I guess more specifically, a couple of passes you wish he would have done instead. Because there were guys open underneath. Just keep, again, matriculating the ball down the field and working it there. Quick aside, uh, today's ticket went really well this weekend, but... 3-3, I think it was, after one quarter, and we lose on the under? The hell was that? So, anyway, pain. But the 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 the, the Josh Allen haters are like, oh yeah, no, football IQ, nothing. I'm like, I don't know, man, this guy played a really, really smart game. We're not having any of these conversations if Stephon Digg ma Diggs makes a play. And... I I am not sure Diggs is it anymore. I think Buffalo needs to go out and get themselves a real guy, to be perfectly frank. Um, not that Diggs wasn't at one point, but I don't think he is now. And I think the veering away from Stephon Diggs in this offense isn't necessarily a knock on um, poor offensive game planning. It might be a statement of where Diggs is at at this point. And you see a lot of uh, free agent primers that have Mike Evans going to the Bills. And holy hell if that happened. But... 
they, they need someone to, to go out there and make a couple of plays. And Diggs wasn't that guy in this game. But the, the Josh Allen haters coming out in full force today, I thought he played a really good game. And I think there's about 30 other teams in the NFL who would probably take this guy on their team, hands down, right now. He, he's, he is that good, I still think. Um... It was nice to see from a Buffalo standpoint, like Kincaid steps up, Cook steps up, um, that again, both those guys made plays when they needed them to. But the other aspect of this, this Buffalo defense didn't have an answer for Patrick Mahomes and this team all day. They were trying to just rush four and pressure Mahomes, and he was picking them apart that way. So then they tried to blitz. He extends it. He is elite at, I mean, so many things. But his pocket movement... His awareness, getting open, um, or, or creating a bit more time, allowing his guys to get open, and finding players downfield for first downs. Uh, this defense, again, was a problem, and I think is certainly an area that needs to be addressed this offseason. And, and quite frankly, I think the Buffalo Bills lost this game at the trade deadline. They had a lot of injuries on the defensive side of the ball. I think they had a clear lack of playmakers on the offensive side of the ball. And again, I just said, a couple of guys stepped up in this game. Kincaid was great. Cooks uh, Cooks was great as well. Um, But they needed someone else. They honestly, they needed a couple of someone else's in um, at the trade deadline to go out and, and help them for this literal exact situation with the game on the line and my quarterback balling out. I need someone to make a play. Who's it going to be? And unfortunately for them, the answer is nobody. And that is why they are going to once again be watching the AFC championship uh, championship game, despite hosting the divisional round. Um, the, the kick at the end, like it sucks. Um, it, it sucks for the kid. It sucks for the fans. Obviously uh, another wide, right? Uh, calling it wild, right? Was really funny, but th- this was, this was a, like, again, I said off the top, I don't think it's the most heartbreaking of the, the losses in this kind of Josh Allen era, but it, it certainly is up there, and it's a heartbreaker. And you look at where the improvement's coming from now. And we just said, like, there's there are flaws on this team. So if you want to bring the coach back, bring the coach back. Um, but the, the Bill Belichick conversation, I think, is really interesting here because th- there's a lot of people who still believe he can still be a high-level coach. Um, it's just, you got to keep the roster construction away from him a little bit. Maybe he is the difference between, um, winning and losing this game or like getting a real offensive mind in there to really unlock what Josh Allen can do might be the difference there. And again, I think if this was any other year, you don't necessarily address like, yeah, McDermott, like the nine 11 thing is really, really weird. Um, but he still gets his team again in field goal range with a minute left to tie up a game against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. So it's not like that this team was just like dragging their knuckles around and didn't know what to do. It's a good football team and McDermott's a pretty good coach. But because of the quality and the caliber of the coaches that are available this year, do you take a look if you're Buffalo? It would be tough to not, to be perfectly honest with you. Moving on to uh, the other game on Sunday. It was the Detroit Lions with a win over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, an eight-point victory. Uh, So they cover it. So, you know, Nailed it. Never in doubt on that one. But how do you not feel happy for the Detroit Lions today? And like the the players, the fans, all of it. How do you not feel happy for this entire organization? Hutchinson, who is a, um, a Detroit kid, looking around as the confetti falls on him. Such a cool moment and almost, almost got me a little bit. But... Uh, like you just you have to feel great for these guys and drafting Hutchinson was obviously a game changer because he was a game wrecker and even when Tampa Bay remembered to block him he was still a factor and there were times it got to the point with the Lions and the, the pressure that they were able to get that 
they were pressuring Baker even when they weren't pressuring Baker. Like, Baker was seeing ghosts, to quote Sam Darnold there a little bit. Um, I don't like Baker played fine, but th this was definitely the ceiling for Baker. Um, and I, I said on the, the, the show, like, I, I felt like Tampa Bay kind of stacked up pretty well against Detroit, but the Lions were starting to play better. This pass rush is why they're playing better. They were in Baker's face all game long and making impact play after impact play after impact play. And those are the difference in playoff games. And again, the quarterback stepped up like Jared Goff was fantastic. Amon Ross St. Brown was fantastic. Sam Laporta was exactly what they needed him to be. Gibbs makes a couple of big plays as well. But the, the big drive to me, they're up by seven with about seven, eight minutes left. And they march down the field and get a touchdown to go up by 14. Now it gets a little bit dicey at the end. But at that moment, that was like, okay, this team is ready. Um, and any knocks that I had on this team, and I, it's weird. They're one of the final four in the NFL. And I'm still like, eh, still seem a bit flawed. Because I, I do still think this is a flawed football team. But Jared Goff has proved every doubter wrong. And this defense came up with plays when they needed to. I worry about them doing that against San Francisco a week from now, but they, they came up place when they needed to. For the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you don't want to say house money because you're so close and opportunities like this do not come around very often, but this was an amazing season for them to to, to get to where they, they needed to get to. Um, the late interception, it sucks. Like, you would like to see Baker get a, a couple more drives or a couple more plays and make this thing really, really interesting. He has shown that he belongs in the National Football League, which was certainly in question a couple of years ago, but he has worked his way into that part now where he should be that guy um, going forward for at least some teams. Like he is right now, given the state of quarterback in this league, he is an upper half of the league quarterback. And I don't think a lot of people would have put him there uh, a season ago that they have some improvements they need to make. I would suggest the offensive line could use a bit of an upgrade, um, but it, it just, it really came down to a couple of those plays where they just left Hutchinson and Branch unblocked straight to the quarterback. And there are times teams will design that. Like, hey, Lamar or Mahomes or Allen, make one guy miss and you got all the time in the world. Baker's not that dude. This isn't Texas Tech rushing at you, uh, all right? But Baker hasn't been that guy for a while. Uh, I don't know if that was a miss. I don't know if that was a schematic problem or what it was, but it ends up costing them this game. But the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have nothing to hang their heads about uh, following this one on Sunday. We move to Saturday, and the San Francisco 49ers survive in advance. Um, this was an ugly Brock Purdy game. That is going to be the takeaway of a lot of people, but it just, every pass out of his hand looked tipped, right? Like, Every time he threw the ball, it looked like someone got a hand on it before they did. And I guess that someone was Mother Nature. He did not handle the rain well at all. But he made enough plays. And I mean just enough plays to get this team into the NFC title game. Um, and, like, that this is why you go out and acquire all of these playmakers, right? Like, this is why having Debo and Ayuk isn't just a... It, it is, not necessarily a necessity, but it ain't a luxury. Um, Kittle, uh, same thing, right? Uh, Christian McCaffrey, same thing. This is why having all of those dudes is what you try to do because they go out and make big plays in big moments for this group. All of them, with the exception of Debo, who uh, I don't know if he was banged up coming into this one. Why is he returning kicks? Why? Like, I know we all say three phases of the game, offense, defense, and special teams. Like, yeah, Barry Sanders didn't return kicks, man. Like, we all know. It's offense, defense, and special teams. Uh, so Debo being out there was 
absurd to me. But again, I was watching this in hindsight, knowing that he ended up going down with an injury. Um, but like they uh, across the board, Ayuk makes a couple of really good catches. Kittle breaking tackles, rushing up the left side. Christian McCaffrey doing everything, like everything you need a running back to do. McCaffrey does exceptionally well, and they will they they were able to get by. And now again, you look at the matchup next week against Detroit. This is a secondary that San Francisco should be able to take advantage of. Brock Purdy cannot play like this again and win. He needs he needs to get back to what he was to a couple of weeks ago to 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 really lock this thing in. So we we will see, but that was that was a little bit concerning. On the defensive side of things, um I, I thought this defense played okay, um but not spectacularly. I, I was more on that side of the ball, I was much more impressed with what I saw from the the Green Bay offense. Um well, well, let's focus on the interception first. Like, that, that is so clearly a throw you cannot make. And it's, again, unfortunate because he played, I would say, a great football game. But it needed to be a perfect game. And it started to get away from him. That This one isn't quite the same as Josh Allen, where Allen kind of lost it um, on two plays, basically. Love, about midway, like, late third, early fourth quarter. Some throws were starting to take off on him a little bit. And that started to become a bit of a problem. And th there were a few times where, man, just like a little bit better touch on that. And this team is going to continue to march. And who knows how this game uh, ends up. But like that that throw is a throw that will mature out of him at some point. But if you're a Green Bay Packer fan, you have to be so excited, right? Like um, th this is a, a young group of skill position players who are going to develop together and look really scary. And you look at it, and I know I was um, down on Detroit all season, and I was uh, preseason high on Green Bay, but if Aaron Jones is healthy all season long, this might be the team that wins the NFC North. So that, that, was, that was a bit of a tricky one. Sorry, for those listening, swing of water for the working man. But um, that, was, that, that was a difficult injury because, oh, well, A.J. Dillon's just going to step in. And he just... He never did, and that was a little unfortunate from a, a Green Bay standpoint, but I, I think you do really have to... <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, choked up about this. You do really have to be excited about what Green Bay is developing on the offensive side. The defense needs some work. No question the defense needs some work, but the offensive side of things, Green Bay should be really happy. Um, lastly, holy crap, Baltimore. I get the, te the Texans were probably the worst team playing this weekend, but that doesn't matter. Um, Lamar Jackson looks different. Th this is a different guy from what we saw the last time he was in the postseason. He is seeing the field so exceptionally well. He is so patient in the pocket now. He is starting to manipulate the game to fit his way of playing and what he wants to do instead of just being along for the ride. He is dictating now instead of having the game be like worked on on his terms. That was such a great performance from him. And again, it's so awesome. To, like, Zay Flowers has stepped up into being a guy and likely makes a big play late. And Delvin Cook looks like a huge factor coming out of this backfield now. Just another weapon for these guys. They might be getting Mark Andrews back for the AFC Championship game. This offense looks so good. And all of it is because of what Lamar Jackson has been able to do. Defensively, they just overwhelm the Texans, but their speed to the football is so impressive. Like, it is, 
It is fast. It is violent. They are a, just such a great defensive team. And there's just, you you can't bank on a, all right, make one guy miss and go. Because they just, they, they simply do not miss. They, they didn't all game. Um, for Houston, there's not a lot to say. They, they certainly were not on this level. Um, that They were kind of overmatched and overwhelmed in the second half of this game. I mean, they had a 10-10 at the half. But they, they, they had no business in this game. Um, but still, amazing season. And they are growing now into uh, a team that you really have to be worried about in the AFC South. We got two really good games coming up on Sunday. And we'll be breaking it down all week here on Couch Potato Diary. Uh, Alright, uh, that's going to do it for the football conversation. Couple interesting notes from the hockey world over the weekend. Let's get into it. All right, um, we begin with Corey Perry going to the Edmonton Oilers. Um, this one, I, I know this isn't the biggest need for the Oilers. It's probably not even the second biggest need for the Oilers. But I think both moves that happened here, and it, it kind of um, piggybacks on, on what we were talking about with, with Buffalo earlier. Maybe this isn't the difference maker, but it improves this the, this hockey team. Um, the depth was a bit of an issue. Their fourth line was not awesome. And Corey Perry, I still think, is better than a guy like Ernie on that fourth line. And so, while this doesn't raise the ceiling that much for the Edmonton Oilers, it raises the floor a little bit. And these are the types of moves in season that really help late. The, the, the example I always use, and there's probably a better one by now, but the 2011 um, Vancouver Canucks, who won the President's Trophy, came within a game winning the Stanley Cup, they made a couple of moves at the deadline that were just on the on the edges types of moves like get, getting uh, Max Lapierre and I made a couple other moves too but just getting a couple of those depth guys and those guys paid off in spades in the playoffs and I don't know if Corey Perry is going to pay off there is going to be a moment in the postseason where Corey Perry makes an impact and I couldn't say the same about Ernie and so that's like Corey Perry doesn't raise the ceiling for this team but he certainly raises the floor he the, the Edmonton Oilers are a better hockey team now than they were 48 hours ago when they didn't have Corey Perry and no it's not the the big earth shattering this now watch out for the Edmonton Oilers type of a move but this is certainly a move to improve this hockey team and those are the moves that I I, I really like th these sorts of things like let's just can we get better here yeah all right then let's get better here let's not put a ton of resources into it you're getting a veteran at the the minimum salary you're not giving up draft picks or anything this is a, a unique situation to be able to add someone like this but let's just go out and make our hockey team better and I think that's also what the New York Islanders did when they let go of Lane Lambert and bring in Patrick Waugh. The Islanders, I don't think, were underperforming this season. Um, you, you look at the standings and where the Islanders are at, and it's kind of like, yeah, that's where they should be. Like, the, the, this isn't a, oh my god, have you seen where the Islanders have fallen? The, the, you look at this roster, it's like, yeah, that, that they're about right. Doesn't mean they can't try to get better. And on the ice, like, that they are... There are some moves you can make for sure, but they've made a lot to try to improve the on-ice product. But I will say, I think Patrick Waugh has a higher ceiling than Lane Lambert does. So again, this maybe isn't like, okay, well, and then the Islanders rode off to the Stanley Cup because they brought in Patrick Waugh. But again, are the Islanders a better hockey team now than they were 48 hours ago when they didn't have Patrick Waugh coaching and they had Lane Lambert instead? I believe, yes. It seems like he got full buy-in from his team down in the queue and has now kind of 
rehabbed his image to the point where I think he can get the most out of this team and maybe get a little bit more out of him than Lane Lambert did. So again, it's not the big earth shattering, oh my God, now here they come. But it's just, can we make our hockey team better today? Let's make our hockey team better today. And I love those sorts of moves no matter where you are in the standings. Uh, all right, so just like I said, just a, a quick hockey thing here. The combat sports world is going nuts over, what ha uh, over the last couple of weeks. First, uh, UFC had a big card last weekend. WWE has a big show coming up this weekend. Let's talk about both of them. Let's start in the world of UFC. All right, UFC 297 going down in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. In the main event, Drickus Duplessis wins the UFC middleweight championship. Nailed it. Um, scores of 47-48 and then 48-47, 48-47, winning by split decision to uh, become the fourth middleweight champion of the last, I think it's 14 months in the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Um, it, it's It's been a lot, but for, for Duplessis, I mean, this was just, this was a really good, really, really close fight. In the end, it felt like it was the middle rounds for Duplessis where he was able to pull ahead just enough to get the victory. Sean Strickland saying today, everyone knows I won that fight. I disagree. Um, he lost the middle three rounds to me. I had one and five for Strickland. I had two, three, four for, for, for Duplessis. I've seen some people say the third could be the swing round. I kind of thought the fourth could have been... Um, I thought the third was kind of clearly for, for Duplessis, but in the fourth, like, Strickland's starting to become a bit more aggressive, and the thing that I, I didn't like about Strickland's game plan, that jab is a weapon. Like, that thing comes snapping out. The problem is, there's nothing behind it. Um, until, like, late in the fourth round and then throughout the fifth round, he was starting to put some combinations together, but it was just, it wasn't filling up space. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, I'm gonna leave that in. Um, it's it, it wasn't just like a taking up space jab, but there it wasn't setting anything up. Like that was the weapon itself. And to me, the jab as a weapon is great. It's an underutilized weapon in MMA still, even in 2024. But it's great because you can do that. You're landing, and now so much can follow behind it. You can kick. You can kick. Um, you can come over the top of the right. Uh, you can double up with the jab and then do something else. There's a lot that you can follow up with after. It's just to me, it's the start. It's not. The, the the only part it is it, it is an appetizer not an entree but it was the entree for Sean Strickland and Duplessis had trouble with it in the first round for sure he did um he had issue with range especially with his hands his kicks were on point but he was getting stopped in his tracks by his jab Strickland was doing a good job of getting off first in that instance but Duplessis aside from that was unable to to really get anything around it and it was just it was really flustering him and then he started to figure out a little bit more he was starting to land his kicks in that second round and starting to to put a little bit more together and starting to find his range that jab was still there for Strickland but Duplessis was certainly adding um or certainly landing with the more impact I would say and uh, I think was landing with a bit more volume although the, the stats don't necessarily bear that out but you you do look at um you look at what is going or you look sorry I'm stumbling here you look at some of the stats and a lot of them do favor Sean Strickland but I do think that Duplessis was landing with just a bit more impact and a bit more purpose. And that's where he separates himself in the second, the third, and the fourth. And I thought the real good adjustment came when, because Strickland defensively was just exquisite 
in this. Phenomenal. Great, um, great awareness of distance. Um, he covers up really well. He is a difficult guy to just land clean on. And so Duplessis made a couple of adjustments. First, Strickland was always just leaning back. Um, that, that was how he was defending things. It was just, come in, punches come, oh, lean back. And so while you're doing this, your head's like, yeah, tough to hit. However, your body stays there. You can't just like do some like standing worm thing and suck into it. Um, while, while my, uh, body does stick out more than his does, obviously. But, um, that, that body was there. And so Duplessis, it's like, oh, well, if you're going to do that, then pop, pop, pop. And he started landing the body. I thought he could have done it more, but it, it still, it, it, it got it at least in Strickland's mind that, ah, shit, I have to, to worry about this as well. And then I really liked what Duplessis was starting to do, where he was almost, like, he was lunging in with his first punches. And so while he's doing that, Strickland is doing what he did a lot, where he would jab, also kind of cover up, uh, but he would jab and st take a step back. But Duplessis figured it out where he would lunge into the point where he's basically like his head is almost resting on Strickland, and he'd come over the top with, uh, I guess... He's southpaw, so he'd be coming over the top of the left. Um, I, I thought that was a really good job of closing distance when he otherwise wasn't able to. And that's where he was able to land a lot of the shots with the, with great impact. But th this was, it was such a close fight. The margins were so tight. Um, but it was just a few more times Duplessis landed with impact in the second, third, and fourth that ends up getting him the win. But Strickland, like, again, excellent performance. I, I doubted him. I picked against him, but I have no question now that this is a high-level um, fighter in the, at 185 pounds. And, excuse me, um, one of the things I really liked is how, like, it, I, it sounds simplistic that he just leaned back the whole time. Another thing that he was doing is, like, if you you were punching with your left, um, and, and that left is coming in, he, he is backing up, and so that's taking care of the left. He's also covering things up so that if you come over with the right, he, he's going to, to he's going to block that as well. And so whatever hand, like, he, he is getting ready for that second punch. So it's almost like he's taking care of both punches at the same time, where the one that's coming at him, I'm dealing with that by leaning out of the way, but I'm also going to stay covered up here so that when that next punch comes in, I'm going to block that as well. Like, it's just, it's, it's high-level stuff from Sean Strickland. So good, and... Him losing this fight, I don't think is anything on him. I think it is more what Drickus Duplessis did in this bout than anything Sean Strickland didn't do. But a fun fight, and middleweight's going to be a whole lot of fun once again here in 2024. Not going to do as technical of the breakdown. Um, Raquel Pennington gets a win in uh, what was objectively a pretty boring fight. But th this one isn't about the, the, the X's and O's. It is about Raquel Pennington, and it is about the journey that she has been on going from the ultimate fighter at one point she's five and five in her mixed martial arts career she gets she works her way into a shot against amanda nunez and takes an otherworldly beating that 99 percent of human beings who have taken that amount of punishment do not come out of it the same and that ends up being the fork in the road where okay things are going great and now we take a turn and now we kind of just honestly fade off into obscurity, basically, when it comes to, to taking title challenges and getting beat down in that way. A lot of times that happens to you, your next title fight is against a young up-and-comer in Bellator, PFL, or on some independent show, and you get the fuck kicked out of you. And that's that. That's just kind of how it ends up. For her to lose that, and then, like, it, it wasn't immediate. She loses that, she loses to Jermaine Durand, I mean, she gets a win, then loses to Holly Holm. That could have been curtains. But for Rocky to come out 
and win, I think it's five in a row now out of that, including a gosh darn championship, is so fucking impressive. And I know I'm swearing a lot, but I, I just, it's just not something you see a lot in the world of MMA. Someone to take that kind of a beating on that sort of a stage, just to be that humbled and have things start to spiral and be able to pull it back up. Incredible story from Raquel Pennington. So impressed. Um, do I think this is the start of a long dynastic title reign? I do not. But for the time being, Raquel Pennington deserves all of the flowers that she is getting with a victory here at UFC 297. Uh, all right, so that is the weekend that was. The weekend that will be is uh, the WWE Royal Rumble. Let's get into some early storylines. I am... Oh, excited for the Royal Rumble this year. I am fired up for this year's Royal Rumble. Um, I, I think it is so intriguing on a number of different levels. Part of it will be answered tonight, uh, the go-home uh, edition of Raw. We will have a breakdown of that on uh, tomorrow's show as well. That might be a two-parter. I don't know how many people are going to sit through on a sports podcast. A breakdown of Monday Night Raw as well. So we might might break it down. If you're still listening, by the way, thank you so much. I know wrestling and, and sports don't always you know, go together, but I try to, um, one of the, like the, the main one here, I, I think is the, the men's Royal Rumble. And I think there are a few real intriguing options. Like there, obviously our truth probably isn't winning, but I think at the top, like Cody could absolutely win it. Um, CM Punk could absolutely win it. The Rock could absolutely win it. I think four months ago, it was a foregone conclusion that this was going to be Cody Rhodes winning the Royal Rumble, beating Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, and finishing the story. And now with the addition of CM Punk, with the addition of The Rock potentially, all of a sudden, and quite honestly, the potential addition of Kazuchika Okada, um, it now adds so much intrigue. And Okada's not going to be here, his contract will not be up by the time that this, uh, that this premium live event starts. But, um, that there's still, like, CM Punk winning it? Would not be out of the realm of possibility. The Rock coming in at 30 and winning it, not out of the realm of possibility. And so you, you are not going into this rumble with a, okay, well, this guy's going to win and that's going to be that. Um, you don't have that this year. And I think that makes it so exciting. In the lead up here to um, to the Royal Rumble, how does the WWE handle Seth Rollins' injury? It sounds like it's a four to six week one, which means he's back in time for WrestleMania, but there's a couple of big shows here that you're not going to have your World Heavyweight Champion on now. How does the WWE handle that? I'm interested to see that this week. There is a lot of conversation around MJF, uh, the former AEW World Heavyweight Champion, losing that belt at World's End. Um, he, he, his contract is up. He is a free agent, and he has been taken off of all the advertising for AEW and off of the, the roster page for AEW. If he shows up in WWE, that is a monster get for World Wrestling Entertainment. Um, and so that, that I think, adds a lot of intrigue to this year's Royal Rumble. Another thing I'm looking for, and this is where we transition men's side, women's side, but both of them, I think there's a lot of talent that is ready to be called up on the, the women's side and on the men's side from NXT. On the men's side, um, Braun Breaker kind of feels like he's just killing time um, in, in this thing with Baron Corbin. Carmelo Hayes is absolutely ready. Ilya Dragunov probably is, quite frankly, but um, as the NXT champion, I don't know. Like, maybe we get, like, a quick blip of him coming in. Um, but then you look at it on the on the women's side. Um, Tiffany Stratton, I, I think, could absolutely be ready for, for a call-up. Um, that, that might be the only one. Like, Valkyria right now 
is not at a point where she is. But Roxanne Perez, like, she's kind of done everything. She, odd people at last year's Royal Rumble. She could absolutely be someone called up. So there's a few parts of this Royal Rumble that I am really, really excited about. And on the women's side, because all this focus has been on the guys' side so far. On the women's side, I... I think it's wide open this year. Like, there doesn't seem to me to be that, okay, well, they're setting up for this, so this is where it's going to be. Um, like, could could you... I was going to say, could it be a Charlotte Flair? It couldn't be. Um, but, like, you have a number of interesting storylines coming out of a damage control. Becky Lynch has played ball and gone down to NXT. Does she get an opportunity now? Setting up a dream match with a, uh, with a Rhea Ripley. Uh, Nia Jax is there. Raquel Rodriguez, they, they've put a lot behind her. Is there a new star that they want to build? Like a Shotzi or, or someone like that. So the women's one feels wide freaking open to me. And so all of these are reasons why... I am so excited for this year's Royal Rumble, and we will have coverage of it here on Couch Potato Diary throughout the week, leading up to Saturday's big show. Uh, that's going to do it for this show. Um, as always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you're listening in podcast form, please remember to leave a review and subscribe. If you are watching here on YouTube, um, make sure you like this video, subscribe to the channel. You can find me on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. I'm at primetimecline, twitch.tv slash primetimepk, and you can email the show couchpotatodiary at yahoo.com. Coming up on the show tomorrow, we're going to look at every possible Super Bowl matchup, plus it is the Raw Go Home Show, so we're going to be looking at that and any other news that comes up in the world of sports throughout the week. Uh, we are also, at some point here, going to do a Frankie Edgar legacy look as he makes his way into the UFC's Hall of Fame. But then the big show is Friday. Fights to make after UFC 297. But then, conference championship breakdown, Royal Rumble preview, all of it uh, coming up here this weekend. I am so excited for the week ahead here on Couch Potato Diary. Thank you guys so much for being a part of it, and I will talk to all of you later.